Hi everyone, this is Nicole, and this week on Never the Empty Nest, we are here with Catherine Vaz and Christopher Surf. Stick around. Like a sparrow building shelter with branches for its young, my mother built a nest with love for her little ones. My grandfather told her, doesn't matter what you have, the only thing you need for life is each other's helping hands. Never the emptiness, my mother always says, spread your Vanessa. Hi, I'm Jacqueline. Hi, I am Nicole. And welcome to Never the Empty Nest. Today we have two guests. Say hello, guys. Hi. Hello. (laughs) (laughs) Tell us your names and then I'll introduce you. My name is Catherine Vaz. And I'm Christopher Sewer. And these are really cool people. Big time. Everybody. And we're married to each other. <laughs> they're married to each other. They're a couple and they're super cool people. Catherine is a novelist. She's Portuguese American. She actually has the and tell me if I'm saying this correctly, Catherine. Sudaj. Did I say it right? That's the Brazilian pronunciation. I said it wrong. But yeah, uh, my father was actually from the Azores and he would say Sodad. Sodad. Okay. So that novel was actually the first Portuguese-American contemporary novel from a big house, right? That's what I have been told, and that meant a lot to me. And uh, honestly, I was so... That's one of the proudest achievements of my whole life. And I'm so happy my father was alive to see that, because honestly, he and, and my mother, too, were people who completely encouraged me to follow uh, my dream of being a writer. So that was based in a large way on everything I could think of that had to do with the Portuguese in California, which is something my father as an historian and an immigrant had written about. And he is actually the one who said, you know, a lot of us in our community write history and we write poetry. Uh, Why don't you do some stories? And of course, we had great ones in my family. Hmm. I love that. That makes my eyes watery and gives me all the goosebumps. (laughs) And Christopher is a composer and a lyricist really known for his work on Sesame Street. I mean, I just recently watched Street Gang and you were all over that. And that was like the initial group that started Sesame Street. So your work is, I mean, talk about, we we have a podcast called Never the Empty Nest and you guys contributed to one of the most well-known nests, which is Big Birds, right? That's exactly right. (laughs) One of the one of the best known and biggest. The biggest. <laughs> That's right. That's right. So we usually start and talk a little bit about like what's going on in our days and our weeks. That's just what we're doing right now. And Nikki, you have a little issue going on at home in your little nest. Which yeah. Is- which which one? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, what are you referring to? Well. You have, yes, the child. The, the children that come in when I say they can't unless it's an emergency. No, I'm and referring it, oh. to Lily who now has like... Oh, um, God, yeah. It's that it's a lot, you know, a four and six-year-old. There's a lot of little things. Yeah. But um, yeah, she has a full-blown like body, full-body rash all out of nowhere. And I think it was a heat rash from being outside of her friends. We just started going to her friend's backyard because we're all vaccinated and we're still doing it outdoors and they still have their masks on. But they were for three hours outside. It's like 100 degrees out this week here mm-hmm. so we went really early 
I put sunscreen on and I, the doctor thinks it's the sunscreen. So I, literally five minutes before this right now, I was like calling the pediatrician. Should I yeah. take her? It's like really bad today. It's like yeah. everywhere. Yeah. That's that's my day. That's right your now. nest story. That's my nest story. And yeah. we're preparing to go to uh, Miami soon. So. We're waiting for you. Yeah. Um, on my end, in my nest, among many things, I have been working with a Cuban-American 83-year-old actor named Ruben Rabasa, who we, my company, Abre Camino, is trying to, um, he's going to be in The New Father of the Bride. He's been in everything. He's famous amongst millennials and even like the next gen <laughs> because of this work he did on a, I think you should leave. And he's called the focus group man. He was the meme of 2019 at 83, which was amazing. And we're doing a one man show with him. So we've been working with him and he's become like our second grandfather. And it's sort of amazing. What about you, mom? Well, th this week, um, you dropped your nest or your little birds in my apartment. <laughs> and I, <laughs> and so uh, it's on overflow. My mom, uh, we just lost my dad. And um, okay, I get a little choky choky, but it's, okay. uh, uh, it's a lot for us. So, so my mom, although we live in the same building, uh, she is really now most of the times with us. So right now we have a nanny, a 90-year-old, a three-year-old, a one-year-old, um, and Nene, who's my husband. Uh, I left him there. Yeah. Uh, and so um, it's a little crazy, and we'll see what happens yeah. after today. And Catherine and Chris, where are you guys talking to us from? We are right in the middle of Manhattan in what happens to be our new nest or home. And we lucked out because we found a little tiny single family home in the middle of Manhattan with a backyard. What? And oh my God. We sold the house that I had been living in for about 14 years and Christopher for 50 plus. <gasps> wow. And we <gasps> sold it to the Mellon Foundation, which is our immediate neighbor. And it completed their compound. So in a way, oh. our house went to a good home. Yeah. <laughs> um, and unfortunately, this happened right, we sold it right before COVID hit, which wow. then we uh, stupidly proceeded to get. So we were sick with it for a oh while. My God. <gasps> so oh, no. it's been a big step to come and be in a new home. In addition to that, I do think their nest within nests and... I have been working on a novel for 15 years. Wow. wow. And I just found a new agent who has given me the last edits I need to do. <laughs> so in a way, The New Nest is doing the final nesting, I hope, of this mammoth thing. Wow. So um, we don't have children, um, but I have a huge extended family. And of course, I come from one. And mm -hmm. to me, we it's probably getting down the line. What we're going to talk about is mm -hmm. I, I consider Manhattan my home now, yeah. New York City. But Christopher can speak to, I'm a transplant, but he is third generation native. Wow. So, of course, I have millions of children, if you count Sesame Street. Yeah. And uh, Between the Lions, the reading show we did after that. So there are millions of kids who have watched that, who I take a little responsibility for, but if they screw up, I don't take responsibility for that. <laughs> <laughs> Only the good stuff. <laughs> but I'd love to talk about New York, too, if that's yeah. what you'd like. 
Yeah, I mean, I'm curious. You guys have such a great story. You guys met when you, um, I mean, you got married later in life or for what some people are late, is later in life. But even that question is like, does that, is that even matter? Yeah, you know? I was 52 mm-hmm. when we, we actually met about, was it 25, 30 years ago? We, I, we I don't remember. We met in 1991 briefly. In California. And, well, oh, wow. and I, I liked her enough, so I remembered her incredibly well. <laughs> she was in California, and I was in New York, so nothing happened then. But when she moved east, word trickled down that she was around. We, we had a mutual friend named Lindy Hess, who we lost about eight years ago uh, to cancer. But she was one of these dynamo women in the publishing world who just put people together and everyone did what she said. And she said, so she, she basically went to work on me because she thought, you've been alone a long time. This is pathetic. And, and we were, believe it or not, at a divorce party to celebrate a friend at the Radcliffe Institute who was getting divorced. And it was all women. And Lindy Hess was talking, and she said, I don't remember what she was saying, but she said, something, 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 Christopher Serve. And I said, oh, my God, I haven't heard that name in years. And she said, well, you know, do you want me to mention you? I said, I don't know if you'll remember me, but sure. Wow. And it so happened, and here's where the funny part comes in. I have a a dear friend named Varley O'Connor who was publishing a book called The Cure, and it was about her father who had polio, and Bellevue literary press started at Bellevue Hospital. Mm. And I think people mostly in New York recognize, if you say Bellevue Hospital, it used to be the most famous hospital for... Mentally ill patients. Yes. (laughs) And so our first date was at Bellevue Hospital. (laughs) Very appropriate. At this book party for um, my friend, which was... When, you know, it's a wonderful story. But the, the kind of cool thing that has continued, and our anniversary is on Monday, and it'll be 14 years together. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Happy anniversary. And Happy anniversary. Six of them, six of them married, and 14 together. We got married on a, the, the solstice because that was the day of our first date Aww. when we re-met. Um, but I've had so many uh, women and men, but mostly women, and including young ones, ex-students I've had and so on, say, you're my model. Hmm. Um, you know, and my, you know, that I haven't given up hope because of you. <laughs> and I said, well, you don't have to wait as long as I <laughs> But, but <laughs> I love well, that. Thank goodness you did. Yeah. 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 What was happening in California when you guys first met? How did you meet there? Uh, I had gone to uh, visit a friend that I, I was working on a book with my friend Henry Beard. From who helped start National Lampoon, and I was very involved in National Lampoon as well as Sesame Street. But Henry and I, after National Lampoon went away, kept writing together, and he and two other colleagues from Lampoon, Sarah Jerky and Sean Kelly, and Henry and I were doing a book where we did parody sequels of all the books that were popular at the time and a lot of old classics. It was called The Book of Sequels. (laughs) And I went out there to work with Henry on finishing it up. He had rented a house in Laguna Beach. And uh, so I went to stay with him for a couple of weeks. And his wife, Gwyneth, was a friend of Catherine's. And I think she was, you were her student, right? Uh, Yeah, Gwyneth was uh, a a novelist and... I had just been the fiction editor at The New Yorker, and 
was a guest at the um, graduate workshop at University of California at Irvine, mm-hmm. where I was getting my MFA. Wow. So, so uh, I'm not sure whether we were being fixed up or not. <laughs> we were. Uh, I, okay, we were. Well, it didn't work. I, I, had, I had a girlfriend that I was not getting along with at all at the time, and, they knew, and Henry and Gwyneth both disliked her intensely for good reason. <laughs> I, won't, I won't go any further. So uh, I guess they had in mind that Catherine and I would get together, and I just adored her. We went, went off to another room and talked about photo music all night. Oh, and I remember the conversation incredibly well. But then I went back to New York and it took, uh, I, I'm not a fast mover, I guess. It only took me 20 years to follow up. <laughs> <laughs> or 15, actually. Only 15. Yeah, and I was moping over a penniless poet who was breaking my heart. So they, we needed to we all. But then you were crazy in love, no pun intended, with Bellevue. But. <laughs> yes, 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 at Bellevue Hospital, and that was... That was it. Yeah. That was it. I love that. Never looked back. I really love that. Yeah. I love it. We have talked a lot about, you know, crazy Cuban families and our backgrounds and all kinds of things. And and we know, you know, like you have talked, at least to me personally, about your own you know, Portuguese-American background, your dad, and how those roots sort of sing inside your work for sure and the nest of that, you know? Yeah. But talk to us a little bit about, you know, so much of this is about family and what you guys just talked about it for is family you know like finding your family so what what is is different about your dad and the and the background that they came from and then being in california all of that you know my identity was just saturated with the, the community of mostly if you're talking about portuguese people in california mm-hmm. you're really talking about people from the azores mm-hmm. and my father was the first in his family to go to college and he was very artistic and he loved history and he was he was a very shy, dignified person, but also very stylish. And he loved his Portuguese background, and he would give lectures about it. But he would also tell me all these really crazy, wonderful mm-hmm. stories. Um, there was a time where he just casually said um, that the cure for fear of the dark when he was a little boy was taking a stitch in a dead man's arm. And I said, what? <laughs> and... And then I realized I might have misheard him, and I didn't want him to correct it, because I thought that that was so cool. But I think the story that I always tell that really made me a writer was there was a time where my godmother's housekeeper was locked out of the house, and she didn't read or write Portuguese or English, and she didn't speak any English, but she also couldn't use a telephone, you know, the old dial dial phones because she didn't identify numbers. She couldn't identify them. So that's why she didn't call us. And a neighbor called and said, you know, she's sitting in the yard there. And I went over with the key, I remember, and she got into the house. And I said to my dad, oh, I didn't realize that she, you know, couldn't read or write um, English or Portuguese. Mm -hmm. And he said, you know, I think she thinks in color. And he actually got some paint and he covered the numbers on her phone dial and then made like necklaces of dotted colors that she could dial in color if she needed to call the police oh or the gosh. doctor wow. or us or something. So it was like a thing. And I think that would be the moment I thought that I was a writer because yeah. I thought, oh, my God, that's like a language of love. I mean, yes. that's, that's like disappearing inside another language. Yeah. 
And it seemed to me that the Azorian culture was just filled with things like Mm. that. Mm -hmm. I mean, I bet if I were to really get going and tell lots of stories, they would be very similar to ones you would know about and identify with. But that's just one of them. I love Um, that. You know, another one really quickly is um, that my great aunt was uh, living in California in a town called San Leandro, Mm -hmm. which used to be very heavily Portuguese. And she was older and she was widowed. um, And her building was going to be converted into condos. And absolutely no one there could afford them. They were all little old ladies, (laughs) either from the Azores or Mexico or um, Brazil or or, anyway. And uh, she said as a joke, oh, you know, I bet if I paint the Virgin Mary on the outside, they'll think it's a miracle and they'll leave us alone. <laughs> and of course, she was joking, but I thought, what a great idea for a story, yeah. is that a bunch of old women get together and do that. <laughs> yeah. So that was the title story of my, for my collection, um, Our Lady of the Artichokes, because mm-hmm. that, that was, you know, <laughs> was set in California. She was kind of one of these colorful characters, very old world. She hyper-polished her kitchen floor, slipped and broke her neck. <gasps> And she changed into a good dress to go to the doctor oh. because she says, oh, I, I, you know, I, I don't want him to think I'm uncultured. <laughs> and, and she got to the doctor and he said, Mrs. Baladung, do you realize you snap the vertebrae that the executioner tries to break? Oh, my God. When, when people get hanged and she said, oh, okay. You know, and how did she, she put on that fine. dress? <laughs> yeah, how? Exactly. How in the world did she get the dress on? <laughs> That's insane. So anyway, those are, so I grew up with these kind of, I thought there's a richness mm-hmm. here, but it was also about, you know, the idea of Sodad, which is, Central to Portuguese culture, um, which was the title of my first book. And it really is that kind of ineffable longing for places and people, even if you have them and they feel missing, or the presence of things that are absent. So because Azorian people tend to be far from home and travel was not easy or cheap back then, there was a real sense of leaving behind. And I know, you know, Vanessa, since you're come from an island culture, too. Mm -hmm. That's very different from, say, coming from the mainland uh, somewhere. But anyway, Christopher also has his own... uh, He's he's a third-generation Manhattanite. That's an island. Yeah, Yeah, that's that's right. That's right. Tell us about that. Not a lot of people are are from Manhattan, you know? People go to New York. Of course, there are a lot of of New Yorkers, but but they're not, you know, what was that like? And you're the the son of of the co-founder of of Random House and publishers and sort of like this really New York story, you know? So what what was that like? Tell us about that. I I loved it. Uh, I had, you know, my own village of friends Mm -hmm. and my family was close. And as you mentioned, there were all those authors I thought, I thought every family had famous authors come to dinner regularly. <laughs> it was only when I was eight or nine years old that I realized how lucky we were yeah. that, that Truman Capote wouldn't show up at everybody's house, you know. <laughs> but it, it was fun. My parents were very gregarious. My dad especially was very warm-hearted and funny, always funny. And he, a lot of people knew him because he... Even though publishing was his main job, he was on television, too. He was on a show called What's My Line Mm. every week. And so 
every time he walked down the street, people would recognize him and say, hi, Bennett. So it felt like we had a big family, even though we lived in a big city. How fun. I love that. I mean, but from what both of you are saying, I think so many things that we talk about on the show, like we talk a lot about how, how the nest is sometimes a net. And, and Catherine, when you talk about your work, it feels like this like net that's catching all of this, you know? And I feel that way when, when I write now, my sister, when, when she performs. And, and then the one show we were allowed to watch or we ever watched was Sesame Street. So, you know. Like, That's absolutely true. Yeah. Yeah. We were um, obsessed with Big Bird. Up there. Well, Sesame Street was yeah. definitely a family. You said you had seen the movie Street Gang. Yeah. And, which I loved. I think they mm-hmm. did a great job. Beautiful. But you will get the feeling from that that is totally accurate that the group of people who produced that show were such close friends and were together so much of the time mm-hmm. that we were more of a family than most people's real families are. Mm-hmm. And I yeah. think that shows in the program, there's so much love in that program that yeah. it's hard to imagine. Yeah. I was thinking that I was going to ask you about that because they talk about, you know, like they would spend four days at a time in the studio and all, uh, you know, like not, you know, it was all together all the time to make that happen and how you could really feel that you do feel that. I mean, I definitely the first time I walked into to the studios to later, you know, write for for Sesame and I the the doors opened and I see Big Bird and and I just start crying and because I used to call him Ming Mong, you know, because it's it really it was really emotional. just get it was it's an extension of family yeah it still is for me i cried Catherine and i watched the movie twice so far and i cried all the way through it both times yeah even though i knew exactly what was coming next (laughs) (laughs) and of course we've lost so many of those wonderful people yeah like carol spinney who played big bird and jim henson too and joe raposo my portuguese american songwriter friend who Helped get me to Sesame Street to begin with. Wow. All, right. all died very young, really. I didn't realize till I met Chris, by the way, that um, Oscar the Grouch and Big Bird were played by the same guy. Isn't that amazing? One thing that touched me about that show was that it was, it was telling children it's okay to have an off day or there are cranky mm-hmm. people out there. Right. And, you know, it's not teaching children how to be perfect all the time. It's telling them how the world really is that I mm-hmm. thought was really so touching about that show. Well, I think uh, Sonia Manzano, the wonderful woman who played Maria all those years, said in the movie that Carol Spinney didn't need a psychiatrist yes. because he could be Oscar and Big Bird, <laughs> so the two sides of his emotions could come out on the same day all the time. <laughs> and it's true. Whenever he was Oscar, he turned into this... Horrible grouch, but a very very funny one. He would just say, have a rotten day. (laughs) I love love those outtakes. Whenever he had that puppet on his hand, he turned into Oscar. I love that. I also loved how Big Bird initially was this kind of like bird that bumped into things and was kind of silly and that he made him more like a kid, which is complicated, you know? That was the main thing that he realized that Kids make mistakes, and Big Bird made mistakes, but he was really tall and big. So kids would realize that not only little people make mistakes, yeah. but, but Big Bird was like them, even though he was six feet tall or more. Yeah. Vanessa, tell me what 
what you wrote on Sesame Street. I want to know about that. I was part of their Writers' Room Fellowship. Oh, great. Yeah. And Yeah. And so recently I've written, you know, little things for Elmo and all kinds of, you know, snippets that come my way. And then um, the most recent thing that I did was, hopefully this will be out. If not, we can cut it. But <laughs> um, they're doing a partnership with Peloton. I actually have a Peloton, the bike. Oh, yeah. 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 And um, they have Grover on a yoga safari. Oh, that, that is funny. So, I'm sure he does. He wear himself out. He oh my god, it, it was so fun to write. I can't wait. You know, he's got like the binoculars. The you know his his hands. His well, his not hands. He doesn't have them. But like you know, like he's like looking for animals and elephants. And then the yoga poses become you know like there's the monkey and the and the the elephant trunk and all kinds of things. So it was really fun to write that one. And that's the one that's in my brain still because it was the last one. But they do so much for the community that's immediate and then the international community, you know? Like, I've written stuff for them for for the military, you know? That's just like, how do you talk to kids whose dad or mom is away? And, you know, there's also a pandemic and they're scared that they're not only in danger, but they're also getting, you know, all those complications Sesame deals with. And those are really, you know, they're family issues and they're they're human issues that are so massive. So, I mean, it's just amazing. There was a wonderful military guy named Russell Schilling, Mm -hmm. who was uh, in the military, an officer and helped arrange a lot of those ways that Sesame Street could reach all those people. So he deserves a shout out. <laughs> I'm going to make sure he listens to this one way or another. Yay. <laughs> Yay. You know, the other thing that I'm, I'm curious about is people talk a lot about, you know, getting married in their 20s, getting married in their 30s, getting married, whatever. What are the, what's the super fun thing about getting married when you're 50 and 70? And what are the challenges, you know, the graces and the challenges of that? Sometimes when we're younger, we worry about what's going to happen and who we're going to turn into, who someone we love is going to turn into. I feel like in a way we're so fully baked at this stage, (laughs) if you know what I mean, that I just thought of it as a celebration. And we had a very small, you know, like 30 people in our our yard in, and then we all met at the dining room for lunch at the Metropolitan Museum. And I thought I had real joy in just planning it. But I think also the question that people would ask is like, why bother? Why would you do that when you're, I don't know, 58 or something? And Chris is 14 years older, so whatever the math is there, 72. (laughs) And I thought because we're still alive and this is a celebration and this is an announcement that we love each other. And I don't know why it's different to be married than just to live together, but it really is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, not just because it's on paper, but because you think we we told everyone this in <laughs> yeah. this official way. And we were, um, you know, there's a really fun piece about our wedding in the New York Times because they sent someone and took pictures and wrote a, a, a lovely article. And Christopher was wearing his Kermit the Frog tie so that made the I, I had to share billing with Kermit in terms of like Catherine Kerm, Catherine Baz, Kermit the Frog, and Christopher Surf. We were all like uh, it was like the three yeah. of us. I but, have the headline right here: Catherine Vaz and Christopher Surf. Kermit will attend. Kermit will attend. Yeah, 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 yeah. so cute. Yeah, but I, I think I, you know I, I, Christopher can can give you his input about that. But I thought it was 
that final celebratory note mm-hmm. of just real happiness and, and oddly enough, calmness. Yeah. Not so much worry about what we're going to turn into because we're there. <laughs> well, that's right. And it was also a way of celebrating our being together instead of not only being together, but celebrating it. I think that was important. Mm-hmm. And we had really only our very closest friends there. And we had an excuse not to invite anyone else because the room at the Metropolitan Museum would only hold 36 people. <laughs> so we, we could tell everyone, oh, we would have invited you, but there just wasn't enough room. <laughs> so, uh, you know, it really worked. And it was great to yeah. be around the people we loved to yeah. tell everybody how much we loved each other. Yeah, I, mm-hmm. my mother came out from California, one brother and one sister. Um, and, you know, that was that was lovely. It was just, yeah. um, we got, the officiant uh, at our wedding was Victor Navasky, who was the publisher emeritus of The Nation magazine mm-hmm. and a longtime mm-hmm. friend of Christopher's, and I thought that was just perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, at, at one point, we looked into getting married at the New York Public Library, which would have been perfect because mm-hmm. Christopher's show Between the Lions is set there and, yes. you know, the library and books. But unfortunately, there was also a wedding held there for Sex in the City. And oh, I yeah. remember that. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> That's and what so, came to mind when just, you said that, yeah. Let, let's just say the price tag was like, oh, no, 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 no. No. I can only imagine. But I get that, you know, I have I've I've been married twice and the first time I eloped and the second time I said, Oh, I actually I was young and sort of stupid in the first time. And you know, you go and you do the thing and then you know, I'm gonna get eloped in Key West and great, great. No. And then the second time was a big wedding, a really traditional wedding in a church with all the people and we were telling all those people that we loved each other and they were witnesses. And I was like, oh, this is why this is tradition. You know, like yeah. this is why yeah. people do this. It's this special. is what that is. It's impactful. I, you know, I get that. What about you guys? Do you have questions to ask mom and Nikki? No, I just want to tell Catherine that I had Cryball um, now. <laughs> yeah. And can you hear me? I need to get my Cuban voice back. Um, <laughs> when you were sell- telling the stories of your family and your dad and, and, yeah. and I don't know, because I've seen, I rarely experience an exchange uh, with a family like that. Like both of you actually have been describing, uh, everything is so logical and things have to be so planned and right. And when you have a family that's so enmenched, <laughs> right, um, is the best that I can describe. I'm not a writer, but it's so heartwarming and it sort of tells me, uh, even at this age, uh, you know, uh, that's what love is all about. And as you were telling the stories of of both you uh, and Chris and listening to Chris now, I too married a second time. And it was, I was what, 40 in in my 40s, whatever. And, And I also had the same feeling that you were describing it was a very small wedding as well, very small. And we just told the people that were important in our lives that, you know, we now are going to become a nest, a unit, a, a new beginning. Mm-hmm. And so for me uh, right now, 
uh, and you may or may not hear the, our crazy stories as well. My father's from Spain, was from Spain, La Naja, small village, and we have crazy stories like that. Crazy for the outside world for us is yes. absolutely normal. <laughs> right, yeah, exactly. I mean, exactly. We went to Catholic school. The Catholic school I went to in California was run by nuns who were originally from uh, Spain. Oh. And uh, so the influence of the... Uh, Spanish teachers and all my Portuguese relatives, but also my father was pretty well known in the community in terms of the lectures he gave and the cultural talks. So he was really revered in the community. And so it was an extended family in that way. When my father passed away, I was so touched by the outpouring of affection for him. Um, he was a high school teacher and just very quickly, one thing I did as a tribute to him was he, he was this very colorful teacher. He was n not a disciplinarian, mm -hmm. but what he would do was he would dismiss students who were trouble. Um, and they said, well, Mr. Vaz, you can't do that. And he said, but, but they're trouble. And, and so his classroom got, no, got known as the temple, <laughs> and people knew to behave. I mean, it was just very interesting. But he was very psychologically smart because one thing he would do, he had a huge bust of Virgil in his classroom. An official senior prank every year was to kidnap Virgil. <laughs> and so we would get ransom notes. We would get, you know, pictures of him in bed with Playboy magazine and beer cans. And, and what was wonderful is my father said, you knew the first day of class who were going to be the kidnappers because he just, he, he said there were teenagers. And they were always, they were like, oh, my God, Mr. Baz is a psychic because he would walk up and down the aisles pretending to be angry and saying, I want Virgil back. And he would turn around and say, you know, he always called people, you know, Ms. or Mr. Mm -hmm. And he said, you know, Mr. Chavez, I want that back. And they go, oh, my God, because he would be the head of the ringleaders to, <laughs> to do that. Well, when my father died, I wrote a really small tribute that the New York Times ran in that year-end piece they do about those we lost and loved, because I told the little story of Virgil. And when my father died, a lot of his former students got into arguments on his condolence page about who had the best kidnapping. <laughs> I, love it. I was oh, I love so it. touched by that. I thought yeah. that was so wonderful. I love it. So, you know, in a way, my father was a very shy man, but he, he also taught the important... Honestly, he was controlling it, but he gave them a way to get back at mm -hmm. him, right? He gave them some power, even though he was kind of controlling it. But he, let, he gave them that outlet where they could kind of get back at yeah. him. You might say that the creation, uh, you know, Jackie, it makes me think that the creation of stories or creating anecdotes in a life and these kind of colorful things that I didn't grow up thinking were that colorful like that were very important to us. Yeah. And of course, we had a. My grandmothers and aunts had venerations for the saints, and that was a big part of our culture mm -hmm. too. You know, the, you know, the the saints and who our patrons mm -hmm. were, and so forth. I don't think people do that so much anymore, but that's how I grew up too. It's wonderful. Thank you for sharing that. I'm so happy Absolutely. to hear all of this. Yes, yeah. it's so validating. It's so validating. Sometimes in in you know when I'm around. Even close people that I love and are close to me, and, and we do things, 
in such a different way. It's not better. It's just different. And, um, you know, sometimes I, it's like peer pressure. I feel, <laughs> oh, am I doing the right thing? Maybe no. And so this is great. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for sharing all that stuff. I love it. And, and of course, Chris's father was famous as um, someone who liked to have fun. And, and yeah, yeah. So That's he well, can talk about yeah. that a little bit. Well, I think something that keeps the family close are are jokes <laughs> that you have for going through the years. For example, just to name a couple, one was that my brother and I were given this hideous little rubber snake <laughs> when we were little. And we used to wrap it up. One of us would wrap it up and give it to the other one. <laughs> and then the next Christmas, the one who had it would wrap it and give it back. But the trick became to disguise the package. And we did this for 60 years. Oh, my God. Oh, I I mean, it, so this it, is it, the it, best. It's, it's something you think about for Christmas. And every Christmas when we were little and the family gathered around the tree, people would wonder which package had the snake in it, you know. And those things really make a family close, I think. Yeah. yeah. And, and otherwise, that my father used to play a game with us whenever we were driving, we would look at water tanks on buildings. <laughs> and little water tanks, skinny ones, he would call mushrooms, and fat ones he would call toadstools. <laughs> and you would have to see, one of us would get assigned to toadstools and one would get assigned to mushrooms, and we'd have to see who saw the most. But he kept changing the rules. Like he would say, no, that's a mushroom, not a toadstool. Or one day we passed a truck full of mushrooms, and he counted that as 10,000 mushrooms. So there was no way to win. But, but, but those are the kind of things that, that I remember and made me love my dad even more and made it fun to be together. You know? yeah. Actually, as Chris, as you're telling that story, I'm thinking what happens in that nest of, of ours, right, and yours and Catherine's and all, they are um, such seeds for what you've contributed to the world. To the world. Mm -hmm. and, and Catherine in her, in her writing. Mm -hmm. So it's so important. And I doubt that anybody with a perfect little normal world would Does be that exist? <laughs> well, you, you know, when 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 everybody thinks you're a little nuts because you do things a certain way or it's not practical or convenient is mm -hmm. the word, but you have all these deposits of actually love. It's what yeah. it is. Mm -hmm. All these deposits of love and 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 actually uh, they germinate and 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 look what what happened in what both of you have given us and, and have given have given the world. So uh, this yeah, is very it's a beautiful exciting. thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah just one really last shout out to my mother, who also oh, yeah. is a very funny woman who, you know, I, I, I give a lot of credit to my dad and his background. Um, my mother is actually originally a New Yorker of a mostly Irish and Italian background. Mm. And she still, at the age of 93, is a voracious reader and very funny woman and extremely loved by all her friends. And mm -hmm. her community, she's made a community, not just a family, but of her church friends and their families. And she's revered as someone. Mm -hmm. So I got that from her too, that kind of yeah. love of books, the family of books um, mm -hmm. and the family yeah. of writers and and respect and education, but also humor and inclusivity. Yeah. That also comes from my mom. 
It's super interesting, you know, like when we're lucky that we, our families to a certain degree let us, for good or bad, draft <laughs> versions of love so that we can make it better, you know, in the next one. And it's just, it's awesome to hear. We don't, as humans, we don't know how not to make families, whether they are, you know, in our work, in our, in what we do, in our houses, everywhere we are. So listening to you guys has been wonderful. And I think we'll end it there on that note. And thank you. Thank you for being on this show. Yes, it's been so, so beautiful much. to listen to your story. This is so <laughs> great. Thank you so thank much, you. Vanessa. And uh, this has been great. Maybe we can do it another day with what you just said about your mom and, and she creating that nest right oh, now. Oh, you mean like church? Yeah, the, the, her friends, because that's so important. Yeah. And I'll tell you why. Because my mom, who's actually 90 and just lost, we've all lost my dad, which was sort of like the heartbeat of our nest, doesn't have that other yeah. nest. So we would love to hear that, or I would love yeah. to hear that we in another day that's yeah. convenient for everyone. Friendship show. If, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Friendship nest. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Thank you so like, much. Fishing <laughs> Buds become flowers, she says they flourish in the sun. They bloom with water, but most of all with love. Open up your petals, show the world your beauty. I'll be here to cheer you on. That's a mother's duty. Success, she says, all the great things ahead. I'll be here when it's time to see you again. And if you fall, she says, if someone breaks your heart, I'll mend your wounds in this nest of ours till you're ready to.